gospel. I want to say a special good morning to you on this Labor Day weekend, and uh, glad, uh, glad to see you all here. I want to share, as we begin off our time on this Sunday morning, just uh, with a quick thought that I shared with, uh, with our ACFers during a midweek gathering uh, this last Wednesday. Um, I don't know how many of you are guilty of this. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands here, but I want you to think about how many of you have ever walked away from a service like this, a church service like this, and have said something to the effect of, yeah, I didn't really get anything out of church today, right? I, I didn't, I didn't, church didn't really do it for me today. And, and I, I began to think about that even outside of our sort of Wednesday night gathering, and, and this is why I want to bring it to you here today. Uh, maybe you've said that before. Uh, maybe you've come in and um, you sat through a service, sang some songs, listened to a message, and walked out and had said something to that effect. Folks, can I encourage us today as a church, I want us to raise our level of expectancy just a little bit. I want to propose to you that it could be that you're not getting anything out of church because you're coming in with your expectations set too low. Now, I'm not saying that we need to expect to see God move in a certain way. I'm just saying we ought to expect to see God move, period. Amen? I don't know how many of you come in, I came in today expecting God to move, expecting to meet with God. If you didn't, I want to give you an opportunity to set your heart in that place. In fact, if we can just take a moment, and I'd love to just pray and invite God's Spirit to stir our hearts so that we might hunger, we might thirst, we might long to see God here in this place. And so let's pray for just a moment, church. God, we come together here in this place longing to encounter you. Father, we don't want to leave from this place saying, man, that was, that was okay. I'm not sure I got a whole lot out of it. God, regardless of what happens up here on stage, we want every single person to leave from this place being able to say, I encountered the living God today. More so than saying church service was aight, it was good, it was okay. God, I want, I want every single individual here today to leave saying, I encountered Jesus. And Father, I believe that's what you want from us. And so Lord, help us to raise our level of expectancy here this morning. As we press into you, God, would you lean into us here today? And stir our hearts, stir our hearts to see you, to, uh, to encounter you, to meet with you here today. And so, Father, we commit this time to you, and uh, it's in the strong name of Jesus we pray, and everyone said, amen, amen. Um, I, uh, I trust that uh, you are all coming in today, uh, eyes wide open, ready to dive into God's Word. You've survived the first couple of weeks of school. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have already had an exam or some sort, a test, uh, some sort of, you know, not, not a whole lot of you, a couple of you? Okay, some of you are raising your hand. Um, I, I'm here to tell you, if, uh, if you already had an exam, I'm just going to tell you, that is not of God, okay? You can feel free to rebuke that in the name of Jesus, say that's, and you could tell your teacher that. Tell your, my pastor told me to rebuke this test in the name of Jesus. 
probably won't pass, but, but just, uh, you know, it, it is not of God, and we will pray for you. Hopefully, you're coming in today uh, ready to, to jump into what God has for us. And if you're new, first of all, a special welcome to you. We're glad you're here. Uh, but secondly, you come at a great time because we're kicking off a brand new series today, and we're calling it Stories That Move Us, Stories That Move Us. And this is based on uh, stories that, that Jesus told during his earthly preaching and teaching ministry, and these stories were known as parables, parables. Now, uh, the Greek word for, for parables that shows up over and over again throughout the Gospels actually signifies um, a comparison of two things. A comparison of two, that's what parables means. That's the actual definition for parables. It's a type of comparison of two things. And these are stories that Jesus told to highlight the significance of something else. It would be, it would be today's equivalent of saying something to the effect of, you know, it's kind of like this. Let me tell you what it's like. And you begin to explain, or, or let me put it for you this way. You see, this was a common form of teaching for Jesus. In fact, you would often hear Jesus saying things like, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he would begin to describe something entirely different to describe the kingdom of God. Or, or my father in heaven is like this. It's a comparison of two things. And he used parables and these stories to teach us. Now, stories have a way of moving us, don't they? Stories have a way of moving us. A good story has a way of moving us to a place of deep, profound meaning. When you think about a good story, I don't know, like, you know, like Romeo and Juliet, right? The tragedy of it all, the love story of it all, the tension, the conflicts. It has a way of moving us. You know, the Chronicles of Narnia or the Lord of the Rings or the Lord of the Flies, you know, both great stories. They have a way of moving us in a certain way. A good story can move us to tears. It can move us to laughter and sheer joy. A good story can leave us in anticipation, waiting for what is to come. A good story moves us. And Jesus had a way of moving his listeners through these stories. But I want you to understand something important about parables here. As we kick off the series, I want you to understand this. You see, the full intent for Jesus in telling these stories wasn't to simply cause us to feel something. Jesus wasn't so much concerned with how you felt after hearing a story. Jesus wasn't so concerned with moving you emotionally as much as he was concerned with moving you holistically. You see, Jesus, at the end of the day, his goal wasn't to leave you with a parable, causing you to walk away hearing a story from Jesus saying, yeah, you know what, I think I, I would rate that an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a really good story. You know, that was well worth my admissions fee of $7.50. I'm glad I sat through that story because it made me feel a certain way. Jesus wasn't concerned with moving you just emotionally, although his parables had a way of moving people emotionally. What he wanted to know was, I want to move you to action, not just emotion. I want to move you to action. I want you to think about your lives differently. I want you to live differently because I have told you this story, because you have heard this story. 
And today we're going to look at one of those stories in the gospel, and we're going to dive into just how Christ was looking to move our lives to a point of life change, radical life change. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke's chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be looking here today. If you don't have a Bible, we got some volunteers that will come around. You can just throw your hand up. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, they can give you a Bible here. If you don't own a Bible, please take this home with you. It is our gift to you. I, I got to say, I, you know, th there, there is something about carrying your Bible in your smartphone. Yes, it is accessible, but there's something about opening the actual hard copy book and reading the pages of Scripture. And so I, I, I prefer that personally than reading off of a screen, but we're not screen biased here. So if you're, if you're reading off the screen, that's fine. Uh, but if you are following along in this Bible, we are on page 865. Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be looking here today. In Luke chapter 8, we're going to pick it up from verse 4. This is Jesus. For those of you who grew up in the church, who grew up in a Christian context, you may know of this parable quite well. Uh, it's the parable of the sowers. And uh, our, our, uh, uh, one of our student leaders, uh, Gracie Daigle, she put out a great devotional over the summer. I know some of you were getting that. Some of you subscribed to that. And uh, she, she gave some uh, profound thoughts there. And if you're curious to know, if this sermon just tanks, go to Gracie and say, hey, can I have those notes? Because I, 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 I want to gain something from this passage. And so uh, you can see Gracie about that. But in Luke chapter 8, verse four, we're going to take it up to 15, and we're going to unpack this parable after reading it. And this is the parable of the sower, and Luke recounts this, uh, this event here. In verse four, it says this, and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And now when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, there's a lot I can say about this passage. There's a lot that I want to say about this passage, but because of time, I'm not going to unpack all of it. But I do want to point us to a few things that I think are critical for us to grab here at ACF this morning uh, for such a time as this. The first thing is this. The passage seems to make it abundantly clear of this very first point, and that is Jesus is looking for followers, not spectators. 
Jesus is looking for followers, not spectators. I want you to go back to verse 8. At the end of verse 8, at the end of that verse, we read something a little bit peculiar. Now, you know, Jesus had a way of, of saying things that left listeners scratching their heads, being like, I don't, I don't really understand what that means. And, and so we find something similar to that nature at the end of verse 8. Listen to what it says. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That sounds like something Jesus would say, but I have no clue what he's getting at. It sounds awfully cryptic. It sounds awfully confusing. What is Jesus getting at when he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But then he goes on in verse 10, and he explains himself. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now he's talking to his disciples here. He turns from the crowd, away from the crowd, and he turns to his disciples, and he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Okay, now I'm really confused. Hold on now, because I, Jesus, I thought the whole point of parables was to help people hear and understand. Not this whole, though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. Jesus, I thought you were trying to compare two things so that you can help us understand. This whole dialogue seems contradictory to the purpose of parables. But church, I want to assure you, it's not. It's not. I want to remind you of how the passage opened up. Luke, the author, tells us in in the very beginning of this passage, a great crowd was gathering. A great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him. People came out of the woodworks to flock towards Jesus. People were gathering around Jesus. Now, if you didn't already know this about Jesus, Jesus had a way of drawing a crowd. I mean, when you walk around with the title Son of God, you better believe you're going to be at the top of the celebrity list. You're going to see paparazzi coming out. You're going to see fan clubs coming out wanting to see the Son of God. Word about him began to, his fame began to grow. Word about him began to spread. All the miracles that he was doing, he was healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. Word about him was spreading. And so consequently, mobs of people would come out, town after town would come to meet him, to see him, to watch him, to spectate his works, to see his works, to observe his works. But at the end of the day, Jesus wasn't so much concerned with who was around to watch him. What he was more concerned with, who here is to fo- who is here to follow me? And I'm not talking about follow me because of all the things that I do, but follow me because of who I am. You see, what he's essentially doing is he's looking out at the great crowd, the masses, the mobs of people, and he's saying, hey, listen up, listen up. I know you've heard about me. I know you've seen me. I know you've watched me. I know you've even spectated my works. But what I really want to know is who here in this crowd is here to follow me and who here in this crowd is here just for the show. See, Christianity, the Christian faith, is not a spectator sport. It's not. It was never intended to be. Over and over and over again, what you find is that Jesus is looking for people who will follow him. Follow him. And what he says is, if you're serious about following me, 
if you are truly serious about following me, the stories that I tell, these parables that I share with you, you're going to catch the truth. You're going to uncover the meaning because your heart is set in the right place. Your mind is focused on the right stuff. You are here intending to follow me and not just watch me. But for you spectators, you're going to hear my parables. And though wanting to see, you are going to be spiritually blind to what I'm sharing with you. Though you want to spectate and watch me, the things that I share with you, you're not going to be able to uncover because your heart and your mind is set in the wrong direction. You see, there's a big difference. There's a big difference between a follower and a spectator. A spectator is there to just watch. A follower is there to do. A spectator sits on the sideline. A follower is actually in the game, getting their hands dirty. A spectator will bail when things get hard. A follower will see things through to the very end, no matter how hard it gets. A spectator risks nothing. A follower lays it all on the line. Jesus is not looking for a bunch of spectators. He's not looking for a church full of people who will just watch Jesus from afar. What he really wants is followers who will lay it all on the line, who will be in the game getting their hands dirty, who will jump in no matter what the cost and follow the call. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus isn't looking for just any kind of follower. Okay, now, as if it wasn't hard enough to move from a spectator to a follower, Jesus ups the ante. If you follow Jesus and his ministry, he has a way of doing this. He's like, it's not enough to just follow me, people. I'm going to up the ante just a little bit. He's not looking for just any kind of follower. He's looking for a very specific kind of follower. And this is where we discover our second point. And that is Jesus is looking for good, soily people. Good, soily people. I know that's not a word because it kept autocorrecting, but, but good, soily people. Jesus is looking for good, soily people. Now, in this passage, after establishing, hey, he who has ears, let him hear, okay? Though seeing, you may not, you may not see, though hearing, you're not going to understand. But those who are here really to follow me, I'm going to tell you a little story here. He goes on and he proceeds to lay out four different categories or types of people, uh, in this parable, using specifically agriculture. Shout out to my ag science majors. Any ag science majors here? A couple of you? Yeah, some of you. I see you, I see you pumping your fist. Know that you are closer to Jesus than any of us, okay? Uh, Jesus didn't use engineering metaphors. He didn't use communication metaphors, education. He used agriculture, okay? So you are closer to Jesus than any of us. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, here's, here's what he does. He uses this agricultural story, and he lays out a couple of key elements. If you read through the story, you can read through it again later on in this week. We're not going to unpack it in great detail here. But there are three key elements in the story. There's the sower, which we, we can argue perhaps that this could be God. Now, it doesn't explicitly say that this is God, but, but judging by the, the format of the story and how Jesus is laying out the story, we can assume that the, that the sower, the guy who is spreading the seed, the word of God, is God himself. There's a second element, which is the seed, which we don't have to go hard searching for because Jesus clearly identifies is the word of God. That's the scriptures. That's the teachings of Christ. That's the law. That's the, the seed, the word of God. And then there's a third element that is the grounds. You got the sower, you got the seed, and then you got the grounds or the terrain, which is you. 
which is me, the receiver of the word. Now, I want you to notice that the only moving variable in this entire story, it's not the sower. The sower stays the same. The sower stays the same. He spreads the seed the same way he would in any terrain. The sower stays the same. In fact, God's word tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God don't change. The sower stays the same. The seed stays the same. It's the same seed. The same seed is being spread across all the terrain and all the ground. The seed stays, the word of God never changes. In fact, Jesus himself says, not an iota, not a dot will be removed from the law to the very end of the age. Until everything is accomplished, everything will remain that the word of God doesn't change. It is our authoritative source for life, for Christian living. The seed stays the same. The only moving variable in the story is the grounds. You, me. And so when we come to church and we sing songs to the same God, when we open up the same word and we walk out feeling differently every single service, it ain't the word that's the problem. It ain't God who's the problem. It's not God. God's just not showing up. No, I, I, we got to check our theology. God is always here. It's the grounds. It could be the soil of your life that is causing you to think thoughts like that. The only moving variable is the grounds. And in this story, we've got four different grounds. Again, this is describing four different types of people, four different categories of people. This is, you know, I like to see this as the OG personality test, okay? Like, you know, you, you got all these personality tests on, on Facebook and social media, like find out which Disney princess you are. Or, you know, take this test and find out which Starbucks drink you are. What? You know, like to, to find out what you are and, and all these things. And, and, and I mean, this passage here in Luke chapter 8 is the original personality test. And Jesus gives us four potential results. Just four. He says, you can either be the path, you can either be the rocks, you can either be the thorns, or you can be the good soil. That's your only options. A, B, C, or D. Ain't no all the above. A, B, C, or D. And as you go through this story, you're going to find that I, I don't have time to unpack all of these, but I want you to understand Jesus' heart in telling this story. You know, it, it, I, I, if you're anything like me, I love taking personality tests. I, I love it, as dumb as they are. You know, it's like, you know, my princess is Mulan all the time because I'm Asian. They're like, come on, because these tests are racist, you know. So and anyway, you know, just going through these tests is fun. Why? Because the process of self-discovery is fun. It's fun to, it's, it's enlightening and helps you understand yourself a little bit better. I think that's why we, we love taking these tests and all these things. But I want you to understand, this isn't any ordinary personality test. In fact, this is very far from the personality test that you and I would take today. In fact, this is less like a personality test and more like a true test with right and wrong answers. You, you know, in personality tests, you're like, there's no right or wrong answer. You know, if you're an INT J, whatever, and I'm an EFPZ, you know, like, it's like, hey, that's cool, that's you, that's me, that's, you know, that's your Myers-Briggs results, I got my, there's no right or wrong here, but Jesus wants to make it clear, no, 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 this isn't about identifying which soil you are, and that's the end of the story, there's a right answer and a wrong answer, 
In other words, what Jesus is trying to get at is, yes, in part, it is helpful for you to identify, yes, okay, I think I'm more of the rocky soil. Yes, I'm, I, I think I'm more of the thorny soil. What Jesus is trying to get at is to move you. Remember, these are stories that are, are intended to move us. He wants to move you from whatever soil you are in into the right kind of soil, the good soil, good, soily people. Now, that leaves us with the question then, what makes good soil? What makes good soil? Now, as, as some of you may already know, uh, I, I born and raised in New York City, and so soil talk is not something we talk about. You know, that the soil is, in fact, I was at a, a, one of our ACF events at a bonfire at a, at a farm, and, you know, uh, one of, uh, you know, a farm, okay? I've never been to a farm, you know, like I've been to the Bronx Zoo. That's the closest to a farm I've been to. Okay, so we go to a farm, and, and you know, there are some people working out on the field, and, and they said, oh, yeah, you know, they're, they're making hay, I'm like, they're making hay. What do you mean they're ma- you make hay? I thought hay is just like hay. There's hay. You know, like hay. What do you mean you're make what do you mean they're making hay? So like my understanding of agriculture, soil, you know, composition is zero. Like I know nothing about it. Now, since buying a home, I've become kind of a lawn upkeep fanatic. I mean, I, you know, like you could find me out on the front lawn with my Korean squat here, just kind of pulling away, you know, like, and just pulling away at weed, pulling away at all the stuff, which by the way, I saw this, this like, again, on social media, this test of like, can people do the Asian squat? And like, people are like, oh no, I'm like, I am falling. I'm like, well, I don't understand why it's so hard. It's just, just squat. This is the Asian squat. And so I'm pulling out weed and all this. I've become quite a fanatic. Now, in, in, in upkeeping a good lawn, I, I had to do some research because in, to, in order to keep a good lawn, you need good, healthy soil underneath. And so it's not enough to just, you know, to my surprise, it wasn't enough to just water it and to give it enough sunlight. A good soil requires a certain amount of things. In other words, you need to maintain a certain pH level. It needs to have a certain level of acidity in the soil. It needs specific nutrients and microbes. It needs specific types of bacteria and and organisms to help it grow. And you need to watch the nitrogen level in the soil. I know, exhilarating stuff, right? I mean, this is just like, gets you up in the morning. The, The soil composition needs certain elements in it to make it good soil. Now, Jesus gives us those specific elements right here in this passage. He says, listen, I want followers, not spectators. I want specific kind of followers. I want good, soily people. And good, soily people are composed, are, are made up of these specific elements. And here they are. In Luke 8, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 15, it says this. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So according to Jesus, listen up, a good soily person has these four qualities to them. They hold fast to God's word. They maintain an honest and good heart. They're people who bear fruit and folks who exhibit patience. They hold fast to God's word. They maintain an honest and good heart. They bear fruit and they exhibit patience. Now, what I love about this description of good soil that Jesus provides for us here 
is that it actually serves as the remedy. This serves as the transporter for us. Remember, this is about stories that move us. These qualities, this description, are descriptions that are intended to move us from whatever kind of soil we find ourselves in, rocky, thorny, the path, and to move us into good soil. Listen to, what, listen to what Jesus says here. In verse 12, he's, he addresses the people on the path. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. For those on the path, Jesus says, hey, you've got to hold fast to God's word. You've got to hold fast to God's word. That is your takeaway, the people on the path. You see, what, what he's saying is, hey, those on the path, the enemy would love nothing more. The enemy would love nothing more than to snatch away the word of God right out of your heart, right out of your mind. So in that moment, you've got to make a choice. Am I going to hold on to God's word? Am I going to cling to God's word? Jesus is saying, hey, you, you folks on the path, you want to know how to go from the path into good soil? You've got to learn how to hold fast to God's word and never let it go. You only got one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. So when you have the opportunity, hold fast to God's word. Hold fast to God's word. Church, can I suggest to you, your best protective gear is this. Your best protective gear against the schemes of the enemy, the work of the enemy, is to ground yourself in this book. That's why we opened up last week with Joshua chapter 1, right? Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Don't look from it to the left or to the right, but, but, but stay in it. Abide in it. Hold fast to it. Meditate on this word so that you may have good success wherever you go. This, this book right here is your protective gear. Those on the path, he says, hold fast to God's word. Then he addresses the people on the rocks. The ones on the rocks are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. Why do they fall away? Because they have no roots. And you know what's required for a root system to properly grow? A little thing called patience. Patience. Something that we as a, a, a generation, as a people, as a society, suck at, pardon my language. We are terrible at this art of patience. Jesus telling rocky people, hey, you need to develop patience because you cannot, you cannot speed up the root growing process. And as much as you can't speed up the root growing process, there are some things in your life you can't speed the work of God up in. There are some things that God wants to do in your life that's just going to simply take time. You don't like it? Tough. You think the plants like waiting for it to just sprout up, you know, waiting for the roots to grow? No, there are things in our lives that, that only requires a simple amount of time and patience to say, yes, God, I'm not going anywhere. See, the problem for us is we grow patient. We, you know, we, want, we are people who like instant response from our God. I pray it, I want it. I, I offer it up, I expect it to come right back down, kind of like an elevator. It goes up and it's coming right back down. Come on, God. I sent you a text message. I know you read it because I see the little red indicator with the timestamp, but I ain't seeing you typing anything. I don't see the bubble with the little dot, dot, dot. So, God, when are you coming through for me? When are you going to answer? God's response, son, daughter. You've got to learn to develop patience because the root-growing work that I want to do in your life 
you can't speed that work up. You need to grow those roots. You need to grow those roots because thorny people or, or rocky people have a way of bailing again when things get a little bit hard. Jesus says you need to learn to wait patiently. And then finally, he says, as for, the, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. You see, church, the big issue here, I want you to see this, with the cares of the world, the riches of the world, the pleasures of life, is that they all boil down to this single issue of the heart. These are all heart issues. These are all things that the heart wants and seeks after above God, the cares of the world, the worries of the world, the pleasures of life, the riches of the world. And Jesus says, the only way thorny people are going to become good, soily people is if you learn to maintain a good and honest heart. Maintain an honest and good heart. And so the best thing you can do in the face of the cares of the world, the worries of the world, the riches of the world, and the pleasures of life is to simply come before God and say, God... I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm being tempted left and right. There is something in my soul that naturally wants to rebel against you. All of the Psalms, when you open up to the Psalms, is David doing that. That's why, that's why God says of David, this guy is a guy who, who has a heart after my own heart. This guy has a good and honest heart. Was it easy for David to flee from temptation, to run from? No, obviously not. If you know the story of David and Bathsheba, David and Uriah, David and, 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 and all of these different, different struggles that David went through, you know what the key difference was with David and the rest of us? He was honest before his maker. He said, God, I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time here because I can't help but focus on the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. I'm being choked out by the thorns of life. I need your help. David says, where does my help come from? My help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. You see, David comes to this place where he says, okay, uh, my life might be a mess, but I'm going to maintain. I'm going to stay put and hold on to this honest and good heart and come before the Lord in an honest and good way. Now, when all of this takes place in a person's life, what you begin to find, what you begin to discover is that they begin to bear fruit by the hundredfold, by the hundredfold. Jesus says, the seed that fell on good soil is seed that grew to a hundredfold. Church, can I suggest to us that God has more for you? God has more for you than you have yet to discover, you have yet to tap into. In order to access all the goodness of God, you need to become a good, soily person. How do we do that? We hold fast to God's word. We maintain an honest and good heart. We bear fruit in our lives, and we exhibit patience. We're going to conclude our service here today by taking communion. We do this once a month at the start of every month. Uh, we have a time where we take corporate communion together, where we remember Christ's sacrifice that he made for us. And, and folks, I want you to know that it's only because of what Christ has done for us that we're able to be good, soily people. I want you to understand this. Without Christ, we're just dirt. We're dirt. We're infertile soil. We are just 
We're, we're garbage. All that we are good for is to be thrown into the fire and just to be burned up. But because of what Christ has done for us, we can actually become good, soily people. We can actually become people who say, God, I'm not here to spectate. I'm not here to just watch you from afar, from a distance. I'm here to get up close and personal with you and to follow you. Wherever you go, God, there I am. There I am. I'm going to hold fast to your word. I'm going to develop and maintain a good, honest heart. I'm going to press in and try to bear fruit in my life. And folks, let me just say this. Let me say this. The work of bearing fruit is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, not you. You could dig, you can prepare the soil, you can till the soil. Again, these are all terms I learned off of Google because I don't know any about tilling. I don't even know what tilling soil means, but it sounds good, doesn't it? Till the soil. Till, get the soil ready so that God can move, so that God, through his Holy Spirit in your life, can bear the fruit, bear the image of Christ in your life.